Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. Hello, hello. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for hopping on on a Saturday. Yeah, it was a good time to do it. <laughs> Honestly, it is. I'm like chilling. I'm still drinking coffee. Let's chat. Why not? Yes, for sure. But um, I uh, I get a lot of requests for this particular topic. And I will say, yeah. I have not sought out any conversations or expert help on this. So I don't have anything to say <laughs> my own, to people who ask me, which I hate. So I'm like, you know what? Then yeah. Let me get a pro, you know? Um, yes. And so then the only insight I have, which I put up a question box and the questions I'm getting are mainly trying to conceive intimacy after loss. Mm -hmm. So before we kind of dive in here, um, can you give, can you go ahead and just give us some background, you know, your experience within the loss community, particularly baby loss? Um, Yeah. Fire away. I want to, I want to hear where you're coming from. Okay. So um, I am a sex and marriage coach. I've been coaching for about six years um, and I, mainly coach Christian women and couples on sex and intimacy. So that's what I do. But I, um, when I was growing up, I'm, I'm the oldest of five kids and the second baby, my mom lost to stillbirth at at nine months. Um, And so it's always been in my background, just like, I mean, it wasn't my own loss, but it was always present Mm -hmm. and there. And then, um, my parents actually lost a second son when I was 10. And so like death and loss have always just been part of my life. Um, me personally, I, um, gave birth to three children, but in between, um, number two and number three, I did have a miscarriage. And for me, um, it wasn't, it was so sad, of course, but it wasn't, hugely devastating because I really didn't want to be pregnant in the first place because I wanted to be divorcing my husband. (laughs) So, Mm. so it was, it was kind of, um, for me, it was kind of a relief at the, but at the same time, very sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but now I'm married to my second husband, Kevin, um, together we have five kids. We live in Salt Lake city and I love Salt Lake city. Yeah. I was just in Park City in September. I loved it. I want to go back. Oh. Those are my favorite housewives. Um, okay. Okay. Thank you for sharing all of that. Wow. 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 So so when you were growing up, did your mom tell you about your siblings dying? And did you have a co- understand the concept of that? Um, I always knew that I had a brother that had died when he was a, I, a baby is what I understood. I didn't mm-hmm. understand. I didn't find out how he died until my second brother died. Um, my second brother drowned when he was three. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a miscarriage or stillbirth, but, um, 
but oh it was still, he was still young. And so, um, but in my fat, even though it was there and present, my mom wouldn't talk about it. Mm. And so I, I actually asked my grandma, um, cause my grandma was a little bit more open. My dad didn't say anything be- out of my mom's wishes, but, um, I asked my grandma how my first brother died and there had been a blood clot in the umbilical cord mm. about 12 hours before birth. Mm. so it was pretty devastating and I think it, my mom still really holds on to it we don't really talk at all mm-hmm. about it even to this day so is this where well you okay so you don't it, intimacy after loss is not your like focus but you are no. a sex coach but this comes into the conversation a lot okay absolutely right. absolutely I mean I have lots of clients who have had you know loss and struggling to figure out intimacy and sex and everything afterwards um I have a good friend who is also a baby loss coach and so she and I have had many conversations about it mm. and um where those two niches intersect because it's something that we both deal with and talk about yeah. How did you get into sex coaching six years ago? <laughs> well, um, I came by it very honestly. Um, when I was married to my first husband, I hated sex. Right. I, I didn't understand my body. I didn't have an orgasm for 12 years. Um, we had both gone into the marriage virgins, so we didn't really understand <laughs> what was going on there. And it was just a really, really hard part of our marriage. And our marriage was pretty terrible in a lot of other ways too. And so about 12 years in, I was like, Hey, I've got to figure this out. Like maybe if the sex gets better, our marriage will get better. So I had to deal with a lot of the sexual shame that I had and figure out my body and figure out how to orgasm and sex got better. The marriage was still terrible. So we ended up divorcing. But when I married my second husband, we knew that we wanted it to be a good part of our marriage. And so we talked about it before we got married. And then it's always been something that we've been working on. And it's something that I've pretty much been studying for about 15 years. Mm. So when I found coaching, um, I first started coaching women who were struggling in their marriage and contemplating divorce. And I quickly realized how many women were struggling with sex. And so Mm. I changed my niche over and my business exploded. Mm. And so it's been something that I've been doing for quite a while now. (laughs) I mean, Hey, I love an accidental phenomenal career. That's helping people. Hello. (laughs) You know? Um, so but you have Christian in there, hyper focused. Do you do you yeah. coach others outside of the Christian faith, or do you kind of leave that For part sure. out sometimes? Okay. For sure. I mean, it's just the lens that I look through. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. because I am Christian and very strong in my faith. Um, I believe in you know no sex before marriage and fidelity afterwards. That being said, I'm not going to judge people if they have different values than I do. That's totally mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I get people of all kinds. I get people who are of my same faith, people who are just generalized Christians, people who are just more conservative in Mm. nature. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's so there's no judgment for me. I meet my clients where they are. That's just the lens that I tend to look through. Understood. Yeah. I asked that only because my grief therapist comes from a Christian lens, but I asked her to put it in the back seat right after loss because I didn't understand my faith at all. Yeah, for um, sure. And then once I got going, I said, can we start putting it back into the conversation here? So I just say yeah. that in case uh, mamas want to consult with you um, and then just aren't ready to talk about God or Jesus yet because they just don't understand yeah. the relationship yet. For um, sure. And that's yeah. so complicated after loss. Mm. It really, really is. So, and I'm totally fine 
I'm never bringing that into the conversation. Okay, cool. Just I love that you do. I think that's really it's it brings an element I think that provides some feeling of light that feels like you're not being judged, you're not doing something that's wrong. Um right. some people kind of aren't like don't really trust their bodies or love their bodies after loss. So like mm-hmm. bringing that conversation um, I think is really helpful. So you listening, if that's something that you want in part of the conversation, it's available or not totally up to you. Um, okay. So, so you have had experience, like you said, coaching mamas after stillbirth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What are you, part of the, part of what I do is maybe not even diagnosing or prescribing for anybody, but mainly just validating how people are feeling. Like you're not alone in how you feel. Me personally, right after I had flashbacks of birth and labor during intimate Mm -hmm. moments, and that was really challenging for me and I had to get over that hurdle. So that trauma, um, that was a trauma reaction, I think. Um, And then my other experiences were trying to conceive and trying not to make it a chore. Um, but we were so under so much pressure to do it. So those are just my personal things. So Mm -hmm. can you kind of give me an idea of like what sort of troubles you're seeing that we can kind of validate for others that are listening right now? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned one of them. So usually right after loss, we kind of get two extremes, either someone who does not want to engage sexually at all, whether it's because of trauma from the birth experience, or they're just so encompassed in their grief that they just can't share themselves with someone else. The other end of the spectrum is someone who, who wants to be close to their spouse and want, and that's the best way for them to feel that closeness. And so you kind of get one end of the spectrum or the other. I mean, I'm guess I guess there's some in between, but those two mm-hmm. ends are what I typically see. And um, a lot of times, especially the ones who do want to be sexual with their spouse and feel that closeness, almost feel guilty mm. for doing that. Like, how can I experience joy and pleasure and happiness with my spouse when I'm grieving so much Mm -hmm. and when I should be sad. And so both are normal Mm -hmm. and both are okay. Mm -hmm. It's whatever you feel is best for you and most important for you, but neither one is wrong or Mm -hmm. abnormal. Uh, Yeah. And I think, I don't know if I'm weird, but here we go. I was like, these parts of my body were Brody's like that. That's where he was born. Like, and it was such a weird dichotomy. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what is going on with my brain right now? You know? And it was almost like, if we're not trying again right now, like, what are we doing? Like, it was very interesting. Didn't last long, but the moments that I had were like wild. Is that sound like you've heard something like that before? Like, of course, the autonomy of your own body. You're just like, what is, what are these pieces for anymore? You know? Yes. (laughs) And and I think so women struggle with this in so many different ways, because a lot of times we outsource our sexuality to our spouse and then we outsource our sex, our body to our babies, Mm. which is normal. There's Mm -hmm. not a problem with that, but really taking ownership back of like, no, this has always been my body and I lend it to other things. And I do things with my body that Mm -hmm. bring me joy and happiness and peace and sometimes heartache and sadness and pain. 
and it's still mine. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. I bet you have this conversation with mothers whose babies actually lived. You're still yeah. trying to figure out what this body is right now. Yep. You're a mother. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, wow. That is profound. Uh, what do you typically tell these mothers? Like, how, like, is it a waiting game of just time or is there, are there exercises that we can do? We're trying to shift the headspace. What is the best thing for us? I know they say don't yeah. rush things right after loss, but if you're yeah. anything like me, you want to tear the bandaid off and you want to dig in and you want to push through these things so you can get to the other side of it. So what would your yeah. advice be? I always think it's important to feel what you need to feel, mm -hmm. whatever that is. And when you're ready, and it sounds like you were, when you're ready, then yes, there's ways, there's exercises that we can do to help change those mindsets, that, that meaning frame that you have around things. But, you know, grief and loss are so personal and there's no timeline on it. So whatever that looks like for you or for your audience is okay. But when you are ready, there are ways to change that meaning frame. You know, we have to look at where you are now and where you want to go. And you can't make the jump from one to the other. Mm. It, your brain doesn't make big jumps when it comes to changing your belief systems, changing your thought processes, changing your meaning frames. It kind of needs to be like a gradual step-by-step -step increase. So I always talk about adding qualifiers into whatever your belief system is. Like if you believe like, you know, my body was for my baby and it's not mine and going, well, maybe it was for my baby, but it can also be mine, mm -hmm. you know, and just slowly start to step your way there until you can get to where like, okay, this, this thought, this belief system feels a little bit better than the last one did. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to get really comfortable there. And then I'm going to push myself a little bit more and move to the next step that feels just a little bit better. And sometimes it takes 50 steps mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes five steps. Like it's wherever you can feel best, but making sure that you're being really gentle with yourself, really kind and compassionate with yourself. No judging. Like a lot of people want to judge that they're not moving through the process faster or that they're still, you know, in that grief. And we just want to drop all the judgment and just allow ourselves to feel whatever we need to feel. Mm. Do you find that we're doing the work internally, but we're having a hard time expressing it to our partner and letting them know this is where we're at and how we feel. Is that, do you ever see kind of a mm -hmm. lack of communication or the partner doesn't understand where this is all coming from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure, that's all normal too. You know, when your body has been through something so traumatic, you know, it, your spouse, your husband who wasn't carrying that baby doesn't have the same attachment that you did. Now that doesn't mean that they are not grieving themselves in a different way, mm -hmm. but it's not the same as, you know, having carried a baby and felt the baby inside of you and then had this trauma and this loss. I mean, as women, we are designed to have this process and like our arms ache when we don't have the baby that we were supposed to, that's a mm -hmm. very normal thing. And that's not the same for men most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so if you can communicate where you are, great, 
right? We And I would highly suggest, um, you know, trying to communicate where you are. Whether he understands it or not is a different story. Mm. So do you see a lot of relationships dissolve because of this conversation where the partner does not understand and it just, there's no patience or tolerance? How do you, how would a mother deal with that kind of pushback from their partner? Yeah. Well, I mean, relationships definitely can dissolve, but when I see them dissolving, it's usually because, um, the woman is staying in her grief interesting, and not being willing to move on eventually. Like interesting, like not doing the work, just kind of sitting and identifying with the suffering and not having, not doing anything to try to better the situation, better quote unquote. Or yes. connect with their partner. Okay. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we as humans, and this is very, very normal, we tend to often indulge in emotions, mm. which keeps us stuck mm-hmm. instead of moving forward. And again, there's not a timeline on this, mm. but like if it's been, you know, a year or more and you're still right where you were when it happened, Mm -hmm. I would definitely seek out some professional help Mm -hmm. to help you move forward. I love a good timeline. (laughs) I mean, like there is one, there is one. If you want to try again, that's the problem. I think if you are trying to have another baby and you're like, well, shit, I don't want anybody touching me. We kind of have a problem, you know, for sure. For sure. And are you so, I mean, are you so consumed with having another baby Mm. that you're letting your relationship fall by the wayside. Interesting. Yeah. I think that does happen. I really do think that happens big time. And I think it's felt by the partner. I think then there's too much pressure on the partner to try to perform uh, when it comes down to trying to conceive again. This is just what I'm Mm -hmm. hearing. I think that you are so obsessed with getting pregnant again that you can absolutely disregard the feelings of your partner and make it no and not make it intimate anymore. It's robotic and it's it's something yeah. that needs to be done at a certain timeline. You got 2 days to get it done, you know? Yeah. Ovulation. Yeah. So have you had a lot of conversations about those trying to conceive again after loss or after trauma, yeah. let's just put it that way? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean there is sometimes there is almost this relief. Like if I can just get pregnant again, then I can feel better mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. And then all, and then once you do, then all of the fear and anxiety comes up again. Right. Um, and it, you're right. It can be very, become very robotic and not intimate rather than like, this is my partner. This is the person I love the most. This is like, we are coming together to create something that is an extension of both of us. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, and I mean, if you're having fertility issues, even too, like there's so much that goes into that as far as like timing and, you know, how many times you can have sex and all those things that it really does become robotic and not intimate. And really, I mean, yes, there is the part of sex that is about procreation, right? I mean, I think there's, basically three purposes to sex 
procreation is one, mm-hmm. right? That happens in a very finite part of your life. Like you're mm. not going to be doing procreation forever, right? It's great and news. <laughs> and then number two is bonding with your mm-hmm. partner, mm-hmm. right? It Sex brings you together in, in a way that nothing else can. Mm-hmm. And number three is fun and pleasure. Right. And if you are stuck in procreation and you're missing out on the other two pieces, you're missing out, mm. right? It really needs to encompass. If you're in that procreation phase, it really needs to encompass, encompass all three. Now, if you're out of the procreation phase, it just needs to be the other two. Cannot wait. <laughs> so that that's actually a good segue to the questions I get most of the time. There's these mamas are trying to connect to their partners without making them feel like quote unquote a sperm bank. How yeah. for me personally, I'm I'm a regimented schedule like organized person. So I had the like ovulation sticks on the back of the toilet. I had, had the <laughs> yeah. little cups next to it with a little flower thing. I was like, get ready. This is the time. It was so much pressure over the course of six months that it just yeah. like destroyed it all. Like it, we actually were like, no, we don't feel like it. Like it became yeah. such a scheduling thing. So I ended up not telling him anything about my cycle, taking away all the ovulation strips, hiding it pretty much, not like in a malicious way, but right. more like no pressure. We're going to do this organically when I yeah. knew it wasn't organic, but it, he didn't need to know. And I think yeah. that was helpful. So can yeah. you give like mama some tips on how they can not make their partners feel like, Hey, wham, bam, then get out of my face, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think you hit on a couple of pieces. Like, don't make it about like, this is where I'm only wanting you for your sperm. Like I am only (laughs) wanting you because like, and it needs to be happening at other times too. Like, yes, you can be strategic, right? But let's be strategic all month long, not just when you're ovulating. Love that. Okay. Right. Like I, like you matter to me. We matter as a partnership. I want to connect with you. I want to seek pleasure and fun with you. I want to bond with you and let's make a baby. Mm -hmm. Do you find that grief and trauma have an effect on libido or have an effect on your sex drive? Okay. Oh, I love the laugh after it. (laughs) Obviously cat. (laughs) Yes, for sure. I mean, so it's interesting you say, so sex isn't a drive especially for women. Sex is a what? It it is not a drive. Okay. It's a mindset. Absolutely. It's, it's your mental space before anything. Like you, we get seduced by our minds first, not our bodies. Right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So for men, it's more of a drive because they have that testosterone that's coursing through their body. That is the physiological driver for sex. Women have we have testosterone too, but it's minuscule compared to what a man has. We don't have a drive mm-hmm. where our libido comes from is our mind. Mm-hmm. And so if you are not in the right frame of mind, if you are grieving, if you are, um, you know, just really sad, of course, that's going to go down. If you're feeling stress for most women that takes the desire down now, men or most of the time, the opposite. When they're feeling stressed, they want to relieve that stress with sex. Mm. 
when women are feeling stressed, they want to avoid sex because most of the time we do sex for men Mm -hmm. until you learn to really adopt it for yourself. Like, no, this is for me. This is for us. Then you see it as more like, oh, I have to do this for him. And that's more stress. And so you don't want to do it. Yeah. Interesting. So I, what I, what I feel like I'm hearing is that we need to do some work on our grief and our trauma in therapy in order to be able to be present sexually for our partners, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. Do you do that work as well? Do you kind of dissect the headspace before you start talking about sex? Or do you say, hey, I got a friend, go talk to them and then come back when you're ready to get intimate again? It depends on where they are. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I refer out to baby loss coaches therapists quite often at the same time, my program, the way that it's set up is we always look at self first, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with our sexuality, with our thoughts, our belief systems, our conditioning, our feelings. We always look at that first. Then we look at the relationship you have with your spouse because good sex comes from a healthy relationship with self and a healthy relationship with your spouse. Then when those two things are good, then we start talking about sex, Hmm. but we don't talk about sex until those two things are in place. Wow. I think, yeah, that's huge. And I like to hear you say that because I think also, I kind of touched, I think on this in the beginning, we, we hate ourselves. We hate our body because it did the one thing it was supposed to do. It didn't do it. It essentially killed our baby. So we like, and you said, we feel guilty or we feel like we shouldn't be feeling good inside this body. It's almost impossible to feel good inside this body. So I think mm-hmm. to that point, you do have to go like yourself again, love your body again, trust your body again. And mm-hmm. I mean, then you got the body image problem. We don't love how we look. We've got scars. Right. We've got we've yep. got all this body weight. We don't look like ourselves. The self-confidence is around our ankles. We are a mess, you know, now that I'm saying it and in a row, like it's a lot. And it is a lot. I think to your point, and I do want to reiterate this, you have to show up for yourself. This Mm -hmm. is not going to work if you want to live in this space, this dark space, this suffering space. It is hard work to dig in and try to love yourself again, enough to carry again, enough to be intimate with your partner again, enough to just love yourself again. Like it's so rough. So I think that the layers of it, you probably, what am I missing? Have you see any other layers in here or have you seen the layers that I've even mentioned? Yeah, for sure. I mean, all of that, what you just said, I mean, body, self-image, all of that. And, you know, either in therapy or in coaching, you know, when I approach this kind of stuff with clients, we do a lot of somatic work. So in the body, Mm. so we're paying attention to what's happening in the body and where it is and being supportive of that and taking over parts that feel so terrible with other parts that feel stronger in ourselves. And that somatic work helps to heal that process so that you can move on. But until that stuff is healed, you're going to be compounding trauma. Whoa. And so you have to get that trauma dealt with. Wow. Do you ever see or say to somebody how you're handling this is unhealthy? Like, are they masking their feelings by just becoming obsessed with sex or are they like, don't want anybody near them? Are you, do you ever address it where you're like, Hey, 
I need you to kind of do some more work here because this is getting to a point where this is not healthy or even safe. Not usually in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, as a coach, my goal is to help them see themselves in an accurate light. And so the ways that I do that is like helping them become more self-aware of what's happening without outright saying like, you're not healthy. You're not doing, you're not, this is not working for you. Now, sometimes we get there if we've done a lot of work and they're still not getting it. But most of the time with the processes that I do with clients, they start to see, oh, wait, this isn't working. I can see what I'm doing here. I now I need to. And I mean, I think when it's self-motivated that way, rather than saying someone saying you need help, right. Then they're going to be able to get through it quicker and easier when they realize it themselves. Okay. So on the flip, do you coach the partner? Because I've heard that even when babies are alive, the partner becomes unattracted to the mom because they witnessed the birth. They saw a lot of pain, you know, they are scarred. So have you ever had to coach the partner who is no longer quote unquote attracted to the mother or is afraid of hurting her or is now deeply affected by either the birth or the loss or both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. I, I do think the majority of men, I mean, yes, they're going to be affected by the loss, but the actual like birthing process, most men aren't negatively affected by Mm -hmm. that. Some Mm -hmm. are, Mm -hmm. but most men aren't. Okay. And if, if they are, let's say like to a tremendous detrimental aspect of it Mm -hmm. are you can you look at them and say this is going way deeper than just sex like there's something else Mm -hmm. going on here that needs to be investigated yeah yeah there's something called the madonna whore complex where oh um (laughs) do tell where um they can be attracted to their wife when she's more of I'm quote unquote, the whore, like when they can have sex with her, but once she becomes the mother, then they're no longer attracted. Mm. And so then I didn't she- know I had a name. Whoa. It does. The it perfect does. Na- most perfect name for something I've ever heard. <laughs> okay. So then, um, that's usually, I mean, we'll touch on a little bit and see how it goes. And if it like, that's something that I usually refer out for you. Ref- okay. Okay. So I, I just, again, like to bring these things up in case my audience is listening and it's like, my husband won't touch me. Is it me? Is it, did I do something? What's going on here? It's not you. I promise it's not you. So the, when your husband or you are doing something, it comes from our own thoughts and feelings. So a lot of times we like to blame our circumstances. Mm. We like to blame things outside of us, like our spouse for how we're, for how we're feeling and how we're acting. And that is abdicating responsibility. So, and it's not even really possible. Like the way we behave is a direct correlation to what we're thinking and how we're feeling, Mm. not from our circumstances, because we can take our circumstances and we can think a million different things about those. We can feel a million different ways, which is going to affect how we behave. And if we are blaming our spouse for how we're thinking or feeling or thinking like our spouse doesn't love us because of this, no, it's because of their own thoughts and feelings. And that's their responsibility to work on. It's not us for t- to take the blame. 
Well, you're kind of hitting on a subject that's probably out of the jurisdiction of this conversation, but I've dealt with gaslighters and I've dealt with narcissists and I (laughs) remember them blaming things that I did or said or looked or whatever on their behavior, like their behaviors were based off of me. So I feel like if you're in a situation where your husband or your partner doesn't want to touch you or have sex with you, and they're claiming it's because of the loss or it's because of you, it's because of you, it's because of you. I feel like you need to investigate that relationship. And that may have been prior behaviors that were similar to this same one that now are going to be blaring that maybe you didn't see before. But to your point, you know, it's, it's, it's on them. It cannot be on you for their behavior. So you need to investigate that if that's what they're saying. Right. Yep. Yep. And I mean, we definitely have influence over our partner. Right. Right. We have influence over the people around us, but we can't, it, what they do is their business. (laughs) That is not ours. Mm -hmm. So they, their response should be, Hey, I'm having an issue with this. I'm feeling a certain way like this, not because you did this. I feel like this, like that's not the conversation. That's not healthy at all. Nope. That is not the conversation. God, that breaks my heart. If the mom, when the mamas have this kind of experience, because they're already blaming and have so much guilt. And then they've got their partner saying, well, yes, I feel this way because of you. And it's just like, oh my God, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah. It is not your fault, mamas. It is not your fault. I love that. Do you do virtual trainings or virtual coaching? Yes. Oh, cool. All right. You got everything. You probably get to, you're going to get hit up after this conversation. (laughs) What have I not touched on? Like, is there other aspects of this that you feel um, you want to address? Um, No, I think we hit on it. Just about everything. Yeah. It's, um, I think to circle back to the beginning of this, this seems like it would be the last thing on everyone's mind. It, It seems like my baby died. I held their dead body. I have trauma. Some of us almost died after birth. Sex Mm -hmm. is the last thing on my mind. But I think to your point, you have to look at it as a bonding with your partner. Mm -hmm. You have to look at it as staying close. You are a mother, you're a bereaved mother, but you're still Mm -hmm. a partner to somebody who loves you very much. And I think that that the relationship deserves as much attention um, as anything else that you're going through. However, You do you, boo, and take care of yourself, whatever it is that you need in order to show up. Just keep trying to show up. I think that's sometimes, and I love that you said those that sit in it, you know, this isn't going to really work because that's the number one thing. Every single therapist I ever met with was like, if I've read you and was like, you want to identify with your loss. You want to identify with your suffering. You want to be a loner on your own Island. You want everyone to know how much pain you're in and you want to stay here forever. She's like, we can't work with each other because the point of all of this is to get you to move forward, to continue to show up for yourself, your partner, your family, your friends, and be functional in life again. Yep. So I love that you said that, you know, and we have to do some real inner work after such profound loss, because it really does change us to our core. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you seen somebody completely 180, their whole entire sex perspective after loss or after something traumatic? For sure. sure. When you can really see sex as a place of comfort, a place of refuge, a place of nourishment, 
like it really can be the thing that holds the two of you together mm. and helps you move forward. Mm. Do you find that partners respond better to verbally communicating that or physically communicating things like that? Men tend to be more physical. So, okay. Um, like really men bond with their physicality and that's with each other and with their spouse. And that's where they can best communicate their love and affection and intention is with their body. And so when we can allow that to happen and, and be willing to bond with them with our mind, body, soul, right? It really can be so, so healing. Interesting. Cause we don't, I mean, our bodies are like so foreign to us after this. And is it, Correct me if I'm wrong, but while we hate how we look and we are insecure, they don't feel that way. I feel like my not husband thinks I'm more men. beautiful than yeah. now than like yeah. loves my C-section scar, like yep. thinks, you know, the mother of his kids. I feel like we kind of have to get, we have to push through that and know that they kind of look at us in a good way now mm-hmm. in, a, in like, a different light. We, as women, we see what is society tells us Mm. is sexy. We take our information from media and corporations. And I have yet to meet a man who is not attracted to their wife and just wants her to love herself as much as he does. Mm. Like every man that I talk to is like, I, she is so sexy to me. I don't care if she just gave birth. She's, you know, 50 pounds overweight. I don't care. I love her. I want her. And it's not just about our body. It's us that's doing that. Now you occasionally Mm. get the douche guy who doesn't think that right. But most men that I come across, they love their wives so much and they just want us to love ourselves. So if you are struggling, borrow some of his belief Mm. in you. Just Mm. see it. Like he's not a liar or else you wouldn't have married him. Right. Right. So he's not lying to you. Believe him and choose to just take on some of his belief until you have your own. Do So do you think, so the five love languages, if you guys don't know what that is, look it up, but it's, <laughs> do, do, do you feel that these are still applied at this time or maybe they've changed? Like stop reading between the lines. Your partner is very much still doing the same things that they have always done to show you that they love and adore you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the love languages because I think we use them against each other instead of what they should be used for. That is another conversation that I'm (laughs) here for that conversation. conversation. We are doing another (laughs) one. That's insane. Oh my God. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. But, and, and physical touch, the love language of physical touch does not mean sex. This is so, I just, you know, Mind the, the, it's, it's, um, that's so crazy. Oh my God. We, I cannot wait. We're going to have this conversation. That's so wild. <laughs> um, I, I believe you. I believe you. And I think they could be so misconstrued and completely read into or misunderstood and, and, and people use them as an excuse. Like, well, you know, yeah. you know, my love language. And so I refuse exactly. to try to meet you in the middle with yours. You know, that's annoying. Exactly. Yikes. Exactly. Well, and then- what they should actually be used for is noticing how your spouse shows you love. Right. Right. Interesting. 
apparently they change after grief, but I don't think for the partner, I think it's for the mom. The mom will, will grieve different. I think they'll change a little okay. bit. Um, sure. but read, reading your partner's behaviors and not trying to like read into them. Like you're like, Oh, he didn't yeah. touch me. He just gave me a gift. Well, that's how he's showing you that he, he cares and loves you. So yeah. I think another aspect of this, which I think is really, I don't want to say dangerous, but we are looking to take this out on somebody. And I think the spirals, I call them the grief spirals. I'm not proud of the things that I say when I like lose my mind and I'm super mad. Yeah. I feel like emasculating our partner, maybe partially blaming them for what happened or just saying it's their fault that you're not getting pregnant. Like, I think that is that an aspect to, if you emasculate your husband, can that affect his libido at all? I mean, I know you keep uh, saying he's physical. Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. For sure. For sure. But when we're doing that, when we, when something goes wrong, it's the human tendency to either go into shame. So blaming ourselves, or when that doesn't feel good, we go into blame. Hmm. And we want to blame someone else. And we kind of like, well, blame doesn't feel good. So then I go into shame. Well, shame doesn't feel good. So then I go into blame. And we just kind of go in this cycle, right? Neither feel good. And the way to get out of that cycle is to realize like, yes, this horrible thing happened. And it wasn't either of our fault. Hmm. It wasn't. We know that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was just, I just was yelling about the dude who gaslit and put it on you. You can't be that person. You can't be that no. person either. Loss and trauma and pain and suffering do not give you an excuse to be a jerk. Like you have to look at, I love that blame and shame cycle. That is, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And we have to really do our best to, even though we're struggling, uplift our partners. I know that whenever Michael would struggle and I would go into coach mode, that <laughs> helped me. Like I, it made me forget yeah. or remind myself of what I needed and I would- try to help him. And that worked for me. I think we should try to do that whenever we're feeling like that's not a sign of weakness for them. And I don't think it's unattractive. I think it's just showing up as a partner. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the, one of the biggest pieces with all of this intimacy, and I'm not using that as a euphemism for sex. Intimacy is about being known and fully knowing so being known to your partner and fully knowing your partner, that's what intimacy really is. Hmm. And so the more that you can communicate and let your partner into your mind, like I'm really struggling today and my brain is telling me that this is your fault and I really don't want to blame you. Or my brain is telling me like I, that this is all my fault. And I know it's not intellectually, but emotionally that feels like it's true. Like the more you can let them into your mind, the better. And hopefully they'll do the same, mm. but really, you know, asking questions because while your partner does not experience the same physical effects of the loss that you do and what your body went through, they still lost a baby too. And mm -hmm. they're still grieving maybe in a different way than you are because we all grieve differently, but they're still grieving too. And so if you can be the biggest supports for each other, I think that's going to keep you close and connected, which is going to help intimacy and sex as you move forward. Wow. 
That's huge. There's so many phases to it. There's so many in in trying to show up. I I will be honest. I don't feel that anybody's going to be showing up for anybody in the first few weeks. But when you come up for air, this is definitely something that you have to investigate in order yeah. to stay close to your partner. You know, and we could go really into like communicating like, hey, you aren't helping me at all around this house. Therefore, I'm not attracted to you and you're not getting late tonight. You know, like it's, you know, speaking, I like the way that you phrased it. My brain is saying like for me, when their house is in disarray, this is new for me. I was never like this, but when the house is in disarray, I'm like, hey, my brain is saying I'm about to lose my mind. I need some help getting organized around here. Can you do this? Or, you know, I think yeah. I love that my brain is saying, because it's not just you making up stuff, you know, it's just like chemically, right. mentally, emotionally, this is what's going on in my head and I need to vocalize to you. Otherwise, passive aggression is not going <laughs> to yeah. get us anywhere. Like, let's no, be real. Not. We know this. Yeah. And that's not even fun. There's way too, it takes too much effort to be passive aggressive, like often <laughs> and slamming and, the, you know, shutting down. I mean, I guess you could do that every now and then, but <laughs> that's not good. Right. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Well, I feel like some listeners are going to want to reach out. Can you kind of shed some light on how your services work? Yeah. So the way that I work with most women is in my membership. So I have um, a membership. It's called the Embrace You Elite Society. It's $49 a month. So like dirt cheap. Um, and in it, there are courses and coaching and um, classes and there's so much in it to get you all the help and support you need when it comes to your sex life and your marriage and all of that. Um, I also take a select number of couples one-on-one -on -one. that's a much higher ticket. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and my waiting list right now is about six months for that. Okay. Good for um, you. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Um, I love, I love working with couples and I work with couples for, um, 16 sessions over the course of usually about six months. So 16 sessions over six. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Just depending on, but we're, I'm, we're also flexible with that too. So that's the, the biggest ways that I work with couples. Um, I have a podcast that's called sex for saints. Um, we're nearing 300 episodes. So it's, I've been doing it for almost six years and it's been amazing and covers just about everything you could ever think of when it comes to sex and intimacy. And then, um, on Instagram, um, my handle is Christian sex coach. Okay. Is that the best way to reach you or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, perfect. I will tag that in the description, um, so that people can message you if they have any questions or want to set up, um, a virtual consult or something like that. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming into the stillbirth world and and having this conversation. I think that it is vital that we shed light on making others feel less alone in this space. We already feel like yeah. aliens. We feel super weird. We feel out of body and coming back down into our bodies is really challenging. So uh, I appreciate you diving into this world and focusing on that for these mamas and these partners. Um which I truly feel is life-saving to shed light on this stuff and provide education. So thank you. If there's anything Thanks, I can Kat. do for you at all as well, um, talking from Stillbirth Mama, who's done some work here, absolutely call me, but love it. I appreciate thank it you. again and have a great rest of your Saturday. Merry Christmas. I can't Merry believe Christmas. it. I can't believe it. <laughs>
And next time I'm in Salt Lake, I'm hitting you up because I want to. You come totally up should. You totally <laughs> I should. I live right before you get up the canyon to go up to Park City. So. Amazing. I know it. I know it. <laughs> I loved it. Okay, that's so cool. So I really hope to get out there again someday, and I definitely will. But in the meantime, awesome. I'll talk to you on the IG. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> right, Thanks, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.